Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, dada, with a Wednesday night wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back to break down every single thing that happened Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite. NXT still building towards the end of the year, possibly its next currently unannounced takeover, while AEW gave us the show after full gear. What did they do coming out of their biggest pay-per-view possibly ever? That we will discuss momentarily. Before we get to all of that, of course, a few notes to start the show. First, head your asses over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let other people know how much you love the show. Go ahead. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for this damn podcast. Help us bump up in the Apple Podcast rankings. Let's help get more people's eyes on the show, ear holes, listening to the show. There is so much to come from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast over the next six to eight weeks as we end the year. I can't even begin to tell you, you guys are going to be so excited about what is to come. Also, do not forget to follow the Silver King on Twitter, at Silverstein Adam, but way more importantly, follow this show, at Getting Overcast. Once again, at Getting Overcast on Twitter. So with that, all the business out of the way, we can hop into the main show. And look, AEW last week, really strong stuff. A good episode of Dynamite, a damn good pay-per-view, AEW full gear. We talked about it being maybe its best built show ever. And I thought that while there may not have been, at least for me, the top tier matches that we've seen in AEW to this point, there's no question they delivered from a wrestling standpoint. And it was a really exciting show, even if it did go on a tad long. But as we go and talk about AEW and then, of course, NXT also this week, the question is, how did AEW follow up Full Gear? Did they deliver on the show after? NXT, knowing they were going head-to-head with that type of show and certain type of promotion that AEW gave us for this show, did they do enough to counter it? What will be reflected in the ratings? So we don't get into heavy ratings talk on the show. But what I will tell you is I believe Tony Khan's promotion for AEW Dynamite worked. Now, did he deliver on that promotion? That's something the Silver King is going to talk about later in the show. But the promotion itself got people watching. It got me to watch an hour and 40 minutes of NXT, pause it, watch the final 20 minutes of Dynamite to see what would happen, and then go back, finish NXT, and then watch the rest of Dynamite. So the promotional tactic worked. Did they deliver on it? We will talk about that a little bit later in the show. What I will tell you is the Silver King was not particularly fond of NXT or AEW this week. And this is coming off multiple shows where I've lauded both. I thought both have done fantastic jobs from a wrestling standpoint, a storytelling standpoint. There was some good storytelling on both episodes this week. But was it a strong week of NXT and AEW head-to-head action? Absolutely not. And that's what we're going to talk about starting right now with NXT. Now, the show opened in as surprising a fashion as we've probably ever seen NXT open with a North American title match 
Johnny Gargano defending the title against someone randomly chosen from his wheel. The gimmick for Gargano, first hating the wheel and then loving the wheel. It's so simple and so stupid, but it's so funny because Johnny plays it so well. Gargano fixed the wheel so it would land on Leon Ruff because Gargano has never successfully defended the singles title in NXT, either the North American Championship or the NXT World title. Damian Priest is there during the match, kind of stalking Gargano at ringside. Gargano taunts him a bunch and beats up on Ruff. Gargano kicks out of a roll-up that teased a finish where, you know, just like with anything else, when you have a small guy versus a uh, larger guy, in this case, Gargano is not necessarily big, but a a main event guy, an established wrestler versus a first-timer, they always tease that there might potentially be an upset. So they gave us a rollout. Gargano kicked out at like 2.7. They surprised me there. I was like, oh, wow, that, that was pretty close. And then they completely blindsided everyone. There is no one that was not surprised with Leon Ruff out of nowhere locking Gargano in a crucifix pinning combination and getting an absolute crystal clear one, two, three to win the freaking North American Championship in NXT. Ruff's celebration was hysterical with Priest putting the title around his waist and it falling off because Rush is so damn skinny that even at its smallest setting, the title couldn't fit around him. They didn't show it on TV, but Triple H put out an incredible tweet about this is why we don't call it a belt because it wasn't able to hold up on his body. Obviously, the Silver King popped for that. Uh, Afterwards, the NXT locker room was backstage cheering for Ruff and Priest said, hey, dude, Johnny's going to be coming after your ass. So he gave him the keys to his car to get out of Dodge. Gargano shoved Priest for getting involved in the situation, screamed about how he suddenly hated wheels again, and William Regal forced him to leave. This is the perfect example of NXT in the booking of Johnny Gargano in this title situation, doing something better than the main roster. Unlike on SmackDown, where they casually mentioned how Sasha Banks had never defended a singles title, and just kind of let it go and made it a part of the storyline, but not a major part of the storyline. In NXT, they made it the storyline with Johnny Gargano. They detailed it before telling us a story about it with Gargano losing again. It was such a totally fun, unexpected opening to the show. I'm guessing Gargano wins the title back next week or sooner than later with help from someone in a scream mask, but I don't really care about him winning it back. It's fine when he does. It was an awesome moment for Leon Ruff. In fact, it's tough to say this because the wrestling quality in the main event of Dynamite was so high, but top to bottom segment-wise, storytelling, booking, I think this was the best booked segment on either show in the entire night, and it was the first segment on NXT. So that kind of goes to show what I thought about the rest of NXT and the rest of Dynamite. Later in the show, we had Gargano trying to calmly get William Regal to reverse the decision, and he admitted to fixing the wheel. Regal refused, said Ruff is the champion, and he slammed the door in Gargano's face as Gargano just kept carrying on whining and complaining. I'm still not sure what they're going to do with the storyline, but Gargano being a whiny heel, Leon Ruff out of nowhere being the North American champion in NXT, it all completely works for me. And yes, I want to tune in next week to see where they go with the storyline. The goal of wrestling television should be to get you to tune in the next week and then get you to buy the pay-per-view or subscribe to the network, whatever the case might be, for any individual company. 
this storyline has succeeded in getting me to do that. As one would say. It was indeed. Next up was the Cruiserweight Championship, Santos Escobar successfully defending against Jake Atlas. I was surprised that they did two of three title matches, basically back-to-back to start the show, but that is what they decided to do. This match was announced like right before NXT went on the air, I think like an hour before on Twitter. So there was even minimal build for it the last couple of weeks. Atlas hit a springboard blockbuster on Escobar, which was a cool spot. And then he squashed Legado del Fantasma outside the ring. Escobar came back with a frog splash later. Atlas did kind of a messy dive to the outside that didn't look good. There were a few near falls during the match. Atlas missed his cartwheel DDT, and then Escobar took advantage with his double underhook face buster. I don't know if it has a name yet. Finisher, though, for the win. This was a fine match, but it never got to a point where I actually considered there might be a title change. And I know you could have said the same thing with the North American title match earlier in the show, but even more so in this one. Atlas, they didn't do enough to build him up as a legitimate challenger to Escobar. This was something that they were at least telling a story with feud-wise, or they were trying to. It just seems like they rushed it one week too soon. I'm okay with Escobar being on TV and getting matches, and I am still kind of curious what happened to Swerve, right? What happened to that whole feud that was going on? And now it's just, what was it, Ashanti the Adonis was the other guy? What happened to that? Now all of a sudden it's just Jake Atlas in there. I don't know. I kind of thought Adonis might get the opportunity. I don't really know what they're doing with the Cruiserweight title picture. I've, I've talked about this for a while. They have a division. They have a number of talents. But if Escobar is just going to lord over that title forever, then it's really not allowing all these other guys to wrestle and get seen. I would much rather have Escobar in the North American title picture in a feud there or going for the world title or anything else than kind of having him stuck in cruiserweight where there's a lot of other cruiserweights who really, they could flip the title every two months and they could have great matches every week on NXT. Escobar is great. He's one of my favorites, you guys know. But it just seems like the cruiserweight title and him, everything's kind of stuck in a rut here. They don't have, they don't think they have anyone to take the title off him. When they do, it's Swerve, but they didn't make the move. And we're just kind of going back and forth the same thing week to week. So I want a little bit of freshness in the cruiserweight title picture and specifically with Santos Escobar. Raquel Gonzalez against Zia Lee was a scheduled match that was next. Coming after, if you remember, Lee challenged Gonzalez last week and almost forced William Regal to give her the match. She didn't show up for the match, storyline-wise. I don't know why. Perhaps she wasn't cleared to participate, or maybe that was the storyline decision the entire time. But instead, Boa came out, and he was very apologetic on behalf of Zia Lee. Gonzalez didn't accept it basically kicked him out of the ring and then beat his ass, including hitting that choke slam where she hooks her arm underneath a person's leg. We haven't really seen a woman do stuff like that to a man in WWE in quite some time. So it was actually pretty effective. When Boa was recovering, all of a sudden a silver dragon circled the video boards and an old man brought him a letter and then wrote something on his hand. It looked like in coal. So they're definitely doing some type of angle here but I have no idea whatsoever what they're doing. I'm not sure that they have someone else in NXT who's Chinese that would make sense to incorporate into all this. And I'm not saying they necessarily have to be, but clearly Xia Li and Boa are their two Chinese superstars and they've put them together. So it looks like they're going in that direction. Maybe there won't be a greater reveal. Maybe it's just a higher power type of deal that you never see on television and and Boa and Xia Li are both getting pushed 
to become better superstars. But I just don't really know where they go with this. But I am happy they're doing something with both of them. Boa, I don't know much about in terms of he hasn't done much on TV for me to like him. Zia Lee, I do think there's something there with her that they can build on for the future. So I'm excited to see her get more of an opportunity. It's also strange, by the way, that Raquel Gonzalez is now coming out without Dakota Kai. It's not that she needs Dakota Kai by her side, really. Raquel Gonzalez is the heavy for Kai, not the other way around. But they are kind of together. So it's kind of strange that we don't see Dakota Kai with her. And I'm kind of wondering, have they secretly broken them up somehow and just never explained it in storyline? I guess we'll have to find that out in the future. We had Candice LeRae against Tony Storm in a huge match that I was surprised they gave us almost out of nowhere on television, even though it was advertised for a week ahead of the show. Earlier on the episode, Shotzi Blackheart, she cut a promo, taped. She was mad about her tank being destroyed. She promised to kick Candice LeRae's ass. And it was a decent taped promo. So credit where it's deserved for there. LeRae cut a tape promo back before the match. Nothing special. Given the circumstances, it made sense we ended up only getting half of a match as Candice LeRae cheated to win with her feet on the ropes. After Tony Storm attacked, the scream mask person ran down, pulled her off, started beating on them, and then Blackheart ran in to even up both of the sides. Eventually, the scream mask and Candice LeRae prevailed, beating down both Blackheart and Tony Storm, and the person took off the mask to reveal themselves as Indy Hartwell, which is what we expected. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. It looks like we're getting set for the angle that we expected that we've talked about on the show with Gargano uh, and Lorray respectively almost adopting Austin Theory and Indy Hartwell into their family, almost taking them under their wing and teaching them as we go forward. I think it's smart. It gives them more power. It gives uh you know, Indy Hartwell and Austin Theory something to do as they both try to get developed. And I think it ultimately is going to work out. It also creates two potential tag teams, a women's tag team and a men's tag team that, you know, Gargano and Austin Theory, I could see them competing in the men's tag team title picture right now, because guess what? NXT still has a dearth of men's tag teams. For the women, there's a number of female tag teams in NXT. It seems like they're keeping those titles on Raw right now, but if they wanted to come back and forth, take an excursion to NXT. I would love to see it. I think there's a number of, as I said, women's tag teams that could use those titles. So, or at least use title matches and opportunities. So it will be interesting to see kind of what direction they go there. Up next, we had Timothy Thatcher defeat Dexter Loomis. And earlier in the show, Thatcher attacked his student. I think his name was Austin Green during a promo. And during that, he threw Green into Loomis's artwork. So they made a match because Loomis was presumably pissed. Loomis sold an injured right arm throughout the match, and at one point, he had a really impressive flying senton. He missed most of it, but it was still a really impressive move that he could get up and do it. The match was long and slow, and it definitely dragged for me. Cameron Grimes ran in at the end as Loomis was about to lock in his submission, so Thatcher locked him in a really tight crucifix-style pinning combination for the win. So he basically got two matches on the show, the North American title match and this match that ended almost identically on a single episode. That's never good. Loomis and Grimes brawled after the match and then Grimes put a burlap sack over Loomis's head, which Loomis didn't even try to take off despite the fact that his arms were flailing around. All you had to do is touch your head, pull out the sack, but okay, he didn't. Uh, Grimes then put Loomis in a chair at ringside, hit him with the cave-in. As much as I like Grimes, as much as I 
like Loomis outside of the ring. This did not hit for me. I'm tired of the feud. It should have ended at Halloween Havoc. The match between Loomis and Thatcher was boring. I guess it was good booking for Thatcher to get a win considering he's been losing so much, but I really don't know what happens going forward there. Tommaso Ciampa cut a promo backstage talking about toughness. He said he was sick of people talking a lot of crap and taking action and not having consequences for their actions. Seeing people have barks that are larger than their bites and a lot of wrestlers complaining on Twitter in order to get their way, basically. He called himself the last of a dying breed and said the locker room culture in NXT these days is going to change because he's going to force it to change. This was a great promo by Champa once again. And I don't know if it's playing off of that post-show diatribe he almost gave last week, which by the way, you should go find on social media. I think I actually retweeted it. It was pretty great. I don't know if they're continuing to play off that or if this is just something different for Champa, but I am kind of interested in seeing him toughen people up and straighten people out on NXT. Although in some way it's kind of what Timothy Thatcher's doing from a teaching perspective, but I guess this is more an attitude adjustment rather than in-ring tutorials. But I guess we'll have to see what they do. But giving Champa an angle like this does make sense because they do need to keep him out of the title picture for a while. So at least this gives him something to do. Uh, they ran a prime target with Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. It's slightly disappointing for me that NXT is running this match, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, so quickly because this is a takeover main event type of match. It deserves way more than a five-minute prime target and a TV match with two to three commercial breaks, which is what we're going to get coming up. Even if it's a 20-minute, 25-minute match, it deserves better than that. That's how good Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai are. Given the circumstances, the video package was great, as always. You know, WWE, NXT Prime Target, they always hit, and it definitely promoted the match well. I just thought we'd get a lot more runway for this. And by the way, it's a very similar criticism I'm going to give to something that AEW has booked, although AEW is at least giving it a couple more weeks of build, whereas NXT is just kind of throwing this at us. Now, maybe there's a reason. Maybe they want to do a title change because there's going to be another call-up that you know, was not mentioned. Maybe Shirai is going to the main roster. Maybe they're going to have Ripley lose here and bring Ripley to the main roster and hotshot her up. I don't exactly know, but it just seems like this match is kind of being rushed unnecessarily out of nowhere. And especially now that AEW is doing its match on a particular day. Again, we'll talk about that momentarily. It kind of feels like NXT should say, you know what? Screw it. Let's go head to head. Let's go main event versus main event. The most wanted main event on NXT versus the most wanted main event of AEW head-to-head one night. I I don't know, Uh, but we'll, I guess, see why they've decided to go in this direction and we'll just have to let it play out. But Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley will be guaranteed, certified, banger whenever it happens. And, you know, I just kind of wanted a little bit more from it. And then the main event, we had the tag team titles on the line. Oni Lurkin and Danny Burch successfully defending them in a rematch with Brizongo. Brizongo said before the match that they weren't going to joke around and they were taking it seriously. The Kings of NXT, all I can't believe that's their name. It's such a bad faction name. The Kings of NXT all came to the ring together and Pat McAfee cut another promo on the fans and the announcers. Very repetitive. Pat's very good on the mic, but it almost felt unnecessary that they did it. It was just the same stuff he talked about last week. Fandango did a 
Tope Kongiro to take out Pete Dunn and Danny Birch. As McAfee distracted the referee, out of nowhere, Drake Maverick ran down, kicked Lorcan in the head before taking out McAfee with a flying, like, I guess, cannonball, I think it was, off the ring apron. Fandango landed his leg drop and it looked like he was going to get the pinfall. Instead, it was a 2.9 and Lorcan kicked out at the very last moment. And then Dunn drilled Maverick. Dunn knocked Tyler Breeze off the ring apron behind the referee's back. And the guys hit the elevated DDT for the win to retain their titles. After the match, Maverick out of nowhere climbed to the top rope and hit Birch, but basically sacrificed himself because everyone else just beat him up. There were four dudes in the ring. They all fought three on three for a while with McAfee kind of directing traffic. Killian Dane presumably was too hurt to run in for the save. Dunn then set up Breeze on the announce table and McAfee punt kicked him in the head. And then the entire group obnoxiously celebrated to end the show. So look, NXT's in a weird spot right now. Finn Balor is still injured coming off that jaw surgery. So the NXT title isn't there. There's supposed to be an update on that next week. Undisputed Era had been attacked by this Kings of NXT faction. So they're trying to sell that by being off TV for a couple of weeks. But that is a lot of star power, top tier star power that you don't have. You've already lost Keith Lee and Matt Riddle to the main roster. Karrion Cross is injured. Finn Balor's now not on TV. Undisputed Era is not on TV. So you're trying to make up for it. And you make up for it without Io Shirai or Rhea Ripley actually being on the screen. They just did a a, a taped segment. They gave us three title matches, but none of them were types of title matches that you were really anticipating. The first one was great, we talked about. Huge surprise with Leon Rush winning, but like how that's not really going to sustain you for an entire show. The Cruiserweight title match, you never thought titles would change hands. And in this tag team title match, especially with Dunn and McAfee at ringside, you never thought titles were going to change hands. So it was just a very lackluster edition of NXT. It was mediocre. Did I find that my two hours were wasted? Absolutely not. It was good wrestling television. But when we watch wrestling on Wednesday nights, our expectation level is different than it is on a Monday or a Friday. We expect great. So if you're counting last Friday SmackDown and working forward, this was the number three show out of four. And the number four show, unfortunately, we'll talk about in a moment, was AEW Dynamite. But NXT didn't surpass Raw for Monday, which is very surprising. And it most certainly did not surpass SmackDown from last Friday, which is not as surprising because SmackDown's been operating really almost at a, a 10, maybe at a nine, consistently, eight, nine, 10 level for a while. But yeah, NXT was above average. It was a six and it was an entertaining show, but not something that I felt like was must-see television, which Wednesday Night Wrestling these days needs to be must-see television every week, both shows. Okay, so let's actually move on to that number four show this week. And look, we're always honest. I'm going to tell you exactly why it was the number four show. AEW Dynamite. And unlike NXT, really, and even unlike Raw, AEW did have a defining segment, a defining storyline for which we can talk about at the top before we break down the rest of the show. And it really was the main event and the promotion for the main event. Again, coming out of AEW Full Gear, which was probably the best pay-per-view top to bottom they've put together, but definitely, unquestionably, the most loaded card for a pay-per-view 
that they've put together. So let's talk about that main event and everything that went along with it. You saw Eddie Kingston come out. He cut a pretty good promo before the main event, admitting that John Moxley did indeed force him to quit at full gear, but he promised he would get over and he would be world champion at some point. He then started hyping up the match between two of the best luchadors in the entire world, which is damn true, by the way. Pentagon, El Zero M, and Ray Phoenix, two of the best luchadors in the entire world. So that's the match we get in the main event. And it's always a banger when these two get to go at it. Not only are they incredible wrestlers, but they're brothers, and they just have that innate ability to work exceedingly well together. Penta tried to rip Phoenix's mask off earlier in the match, which was not something I thought they would do, but it was very purposeful based on the storyline that they were telling. It felt like the tension between Penta and Phoenix escalated really quick as they were going at it very hard in this match and trying to rip each other's masks off after just kind of slightly being at odds before. It seemed like all of a sudden someone ripped the band-aid off and now brothers hated each other when previously they just kind of were at odds a little bit. Kingston was on commentary the entire time and they spent the whole match almost egging on the dissension between the two. It was so blatantly obvious what they were doing, the way they were selling it on commentary. Phoenix did a double springboard roll-up and then a springboard cutter for a couple 2.5 counts. Pretty ridiculous moves. Then Phoenix pulled Penta's mask half off and Penta responded with a flip over inverted DDT, which I have never seen anything like that before. It was so sick. Phoenix did a tope tornillo and a couple other sick moves before Penta hit an absurd package pile driver on the ring apron and then a ridiculous Canadian destroyer outside the ring. Penta then dragged Phoenix back inside the ring, hit him with one more package pile driver and got the decisive victory. Kingston grabs the mic and mocks the fans for chanting, this is awesome and fight forever. He praised Penta and then started tr talking trash about Phoenix before pushing Phoenix out of the ring with his foot, almost as if to say that Phoenix is trash, he's nothing, and he wants to not only be Pentagon's best friend, which is what they've been telling in storyline, but also his replacement brother, that he wants that kinship with him. So it made a lot of sense from a storyline perspective. Penta kind of started taking it, realizing what Kingston was doing. And then right at that moment, Pox music hits. And he comes out returning as a face. And I don't even know what else there is to say about it, except they totally teased it last week that Pac would be returning soon. And then they gave us Pac returning. But the main event, because we kind of knew that was what they were doing, was pretty anticlimactic. The match was incredible, but the aftermath was anticlimactic. And look, Tony Khan was at it again, over-promising and under-delivering. We talk about this all the time. He wrote on Twitter, for the rest of 2020, AEW will keep delivering great matches on Wednesday nights. Okay, check mark. So far, so good. Plus, there are massive surprises ahead. Okay, shrug. We'll find out. Please join us on TNT tonight. The balance of power in wrestling will shift. What? What balance of power shifted from that episode of Dynamite on Wednesday night? I thought and fans thought they were talking about something 
monumental. So what could be monumental? Brock Lesnar being signed. CM Punk being signed. Forming, reforming the Four Horsemen with Cody turning and that whole gimmick happening. I don't even know. Uh, Creating a relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe to a lesser extent, formalizing a relationship with the NWA. Or maybe announcing some type of cross-brand event or promotion with Ring of Honor or Impact. Any of those would somewhat change the landscape of professional wrestling. Pac returning one week after you gave it away that he was going to be returning does not do that. He's a great wrestler. I'm glad that he's back. That's it. Full stop. It's such an exaggeration to promote it that way, especially considering they didn't even hold it as a surprise because they ran the awesome vignette of Pac last week. Instead of booking an out-of-nowhere return that surprised everyone, this guy they've been waiting to see suddenly shows up, and then they air the vignette next week. This is what he was doing the entire time. They did it in the opposite order. They not only teased that he would be showing up, but they completely gave it away in commentary by overdoing the entire Penta versus Phoenix, Eddie Kingston getting in the way and splitting them up type of stuff. Hey, look, Tony Khan's a promoter. He promoted. He got the fans talking. He got his rating. He got me to tune in for the final 20 minutes instead of watching NXT. So that final quarter hour should do pretty big numbers for AEW. But look, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I am not going to let Tony Khan fool me again, period. And look, trust me, I'm not the only one. I got a dozen, literally a dozen DMs about this. And that's not counting, you know, people I saw on Twitter and and Reddit all talking about this exact same thing. I'll read you one of the DMs I got. It comes from Mick Foley's Missing Teeth. Uh, Great, just name. At MFMT1982. Really funny Twitter handle. Uh, Can't wait for the show today. At what point is Tony hurting his own show? Last night I watched AEW Live, waiting to see the game-changing announcement or debut, and it took away the enjoyment of the main event because I'm watching the clock, waiting for something huge. We got Pac, and not even mad, crazy, kick everyone's ass Pac, we got a promo. Went over like a fart in church. I then watched NXT and thought it was a much better show. In reality, it probably wasn't, but I left the show happier to say the least. So yeah, I think that is fair. NXT was not a much better show. Did I think it was better? Yes, I think AEW, and we'll talk about the rest of the show coming up right now, but it was, you know, average to below average. It was a four, you know, whereas NXT was a six. And that's neither significant praise nor significant criticism for either of them, but for a show after a pay-per-view, for AEW not to be better than it was, for Tony Khan to again over-promise and under-deliver on a surprise, I really hope I get the opportunity to interview him sooner than later because I will ask him very point blank, is it just promotional? Like, do you just not care or think your your viewers don't care that you're over-promising? You know, he could have said that Stay tuned for the end of Dynamite because there will be a surprise that shakes up the company. And that's fine. But he talked about changing the landscape of professional wrestling, meaning something was going to happen on AEW Dynamite that was so massive, 
that at a minimum it affected NXT, but more likely affected WWE and the business as a whole. And Pac returning, and not even returning in a way where he realigns with Phoenix and Pentagon to go after maybe Eddie Kingston, Butcher and Blade or something like that, just showing up, cutting a short face promo, and then getting into not even a brawl, but a confrontation with Eddie Kingston where they wouldn't actually let them fight, that is not groundbreaking. That is not shaking up the landscape of professional wrestling. And look, criticism is deserved when you do something like that. I do the same thing with WWE. WWE gives us a, a epic match that we've been waiting for and ends it in a DQ or schmoz finish. I crap all over them. No one was more critical about the AEW, uh, I said AEW, AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura feud than the Silver King. So yeah, I'm going to do the exact same thing when AEW does something like this. It, it goes to show you and remind you, AEW is way closer to WWE than people think. And I think I have a DM slide later that says something to that effect. So I'm not going to ruin it. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But let's get into the rest of this AEW Dynamite episode. The show opened with a remixed version of their theme song and an updated intro, presumably changing everything, freshening it up for season two. Again, I'm always honest, both are downgrades from what they originally had. Big downgrades, actually. The opening intro and the theme song, which I think was remixed. There's a chance it wasn't and I heard it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. Both way, I don't even want to say the word worse, but just way not as good. Not nearly as good as the season one versions of both were. The first match of the show was Brian Cage defeating Matt Seidel. Taz cut a decent promo on Darby Allen, who was sitting high up in the stands. What I liked about Taz's promo was how much time he spent building up Cage's opponent rather than just tearing down the face. That's an expert level promo where you make yourself look good and seem strong without making the other person look weak or bad or stupid. That's how you do it. So this was a good big versus small match. Slidell hit a standing corkscrew splash that commentary didn't even sell, despite it being spectacular. Slidell then reversed Cage's finisher for a true 2.9 fall that was played very well. And Cage eventually came over top of him by catching Slidell midair and hitting the drill claw for the win. This is going to be underrated and not talked a lot about, but I really enjoyed it. Ricky Starks, after the match, cut probably his worst promo so far. In AEW, it was just silly and unnecessary. Um, talking about bad promos, we'll actually move to that in a moment. But the match was damn good. And again, because Taz built up Seidel as a true threat, it sold him as a threat where you thought, look, he's probably not going to win. But could he get a roll-up? Is it possible? Yeah, it was possible. And it was something that you were looking to see might happen in the match. Next up was Cody Rhodes uh, coming to the ring. And he starts by congratulating Darby Allen and says he's not going to seek a rematch for the TNT title right now because he's focused on old revenge, getting revenge on MJF. Okay, out of nowhere, right as Cody says that, a random woman walks into the ring, grabs a mic, calls Cody a liar, and introduces herself as Jade Cargill. If you're wondering why I'm speaking two words at a time or three words at a time, it's because apparently that's all Jade Cargill 
knows how to do. She took exception to Cody saying he was a giant killer and said she knows someone that he woke up with that statement. Her whole promo was slow and overly scripted, the opposite of what AEW is supposed to be all about. It was just such awful, old school style delivery. Really like women's wrestling booking from, I don't know, the 1980s, the early 1990s, where you couldn't trust them to do anything on their own. So you just have to lay it out for them start to finish. She finally says that the guy she's talking about is Shaq. Shaq. Really? 48-year-old, slow ass, can't move anymore, Shaquille O'Neal. That's who she's talking about? Zero point zero. Brandy Rhodes then comes out, all hyped up that Jade is talking shit, calls her a loudmouth bitch, and steps to her in a pretty badass way. And you know what? I'm going to give credit to Brandy Rhodes because her promo last night was great. It was great. Top tier energy, top tier verbiage. She tore her apart and it was awesome. So Brandy deserves a lot of credit, but she also called her a heifer and Jade Cargill, anyone who saw her saw the most ripped female wrestler that I've probably ever seen, even more so than Big Swole. She looked great. And by the way, if you're listening to this pod, it is now downpouring outside my window. I'm in South Florida. So if you're hearing this in the background, then I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. It's, it's, it's raining on the segment like I'm shitting on the segment. That's what's happening. So aside from Brandy calling her a heifer, which made no sense. Okay, she absolutely tore her apart. Big time credit to Brandy. But even Brandy's incredible promo could not have saved this awful, horrendous segment as much as she tried. All of a sudden, the women finish speaking. Brian Cage randomly runs in and power bombs Cody. Then Starks comes in and they are, looks like they're going to double team Cody. So Darby Allen runs in from the stands wearing a jacket covered in thumbtacks to make the save. Okay, I guess that worked. That was kind of decent. But this was an atrocity. And the fact that they think anyone wants to see Cody versus Shaq. I mean, go to hell. <laughs> if, if you think... That's what people want. Maybe you should ask someone else. Ask Vince. <laughs> Great idea. Vince didn't even book Big Show versus Shaq. Now, like five years later, you're going to go Cody Shaq? Give me a damn break. Uh, we saw John Moxley and Kenny Omega get scheduled for a December 2 title match on AEW Dynamite. Moxley cut a short promo on Omega that was good enough, but it's strange that they're rushing this when they're building the biggest match ever for AEW TV on a random December 2nd episode in three weeks. I would like to see a bit more build, but we'll find out what they're going to be doing now over the next few weeks. Look, maybe they surprise us and book a 30-minute main event with no commercials. And if they do that, then that's a huge selling point for Dynamite and a really smart booking decision. And maybe they even change the title in that match. That could be an absolutely huge rating. Maybe they could pop... Over a million for that. But I just don't know that they're going to go in that direction. Later in the show, Omega cut a far better promo than Moxley did. 
about Moxley stealing his spot on magazines and his reputation as the best wrestler in the world, but Omega is ready to take it back. I loved that from Omega. I may not have liked much on this show, but that from Omega, what Brandy gave us, and the wrestling, just the wrestling part of the main event were definite highlights for me. We saw the Natural Nightmares defeat Butcher and Blade in a bunkhouse match. And look, we're honest on this podcast always. I didn't find myself giving a single shit about this match. It was so ridiculously overdone. The feud only existed because of Bunny, Allie. The gimmick of a bunkhouse match was largely stupid with a cowboy theme for no apparent reason. Dustin Rhodes hit the butcher with a bulldog through some random plywood on a set that they built just for this. Blade and QT Marshall were both gushing blood in the ring. Marshall climbed a 12-foot ladder and hit an elbow drop for a 2.5 count. It didn't end the match. What? Dustin hit a horrible Code Red destroyer that they basically rolled through. They almost broke the guy's neck. QT Marshall hit his diamond cutter finisher, but didn't even get a fall on it. He then punched a chair into Blade's head, which knocked him into Bunny, who flew through a table, which by the way is a spot we just recently saw. I believe on WWE television, maybe NXT, but we just saw the spot. I think we also saw the spot with Brandy Rhodes a couple months ago. So again, repetitive. Dustin then hit Blade with a cowbell, and then QT hit him with a second cutter for the win. Why was so much necessary to beat Blade? He's not Brian Cage. He's not Lance Archer. Is this guy literally made of steel? Like, it just, it didn't make any sense. Uh, Matt Hardy then cut a promo that was supposedly from the Hardy compound, but he was just standing against the concrete wall, saying that Sammy Guevara may have lost the match, but he gained his respect and he should be thankful for the platform that he was given. Okay. Uh, The Inner Circle did an induction ceremony for MJF and Wardlow. The rest of Inner Circle was not happy to be there as Chris Jericho introduced MJF and Wardlow. MJF acted like a total jackass, as expected, and read some Drake lyrics, which pissed off Ortiz. MJF then wished Jericho a happy birthday and then announced that they were all going to go to Las Vegas next week, courtesy of him. This was probably the most disappointing Jericho or MJF segment, let alone Jericho and MJF segment that we've gotten on Dynamite to date. It wasn't funny. It was largely boring. And it did nothing to really make me care about next week. Now, they somewhat remedied that a short while later in a backstage segment where Jericho popped me, uh, joking that Marvez was probably going to go old Vegas style playing Go Fish with Bill Apter. Lots of funny references right there legitimately laughed out loud on that. Uh, Sammy Guevara finally showed up after apparently getting wrong directions from MJF, who told him to go to the beach. But why would he go to the beach when Dynamite is taped from 8 to 10 p.m. live every Wednesday on TNT? Anyway, uh, MJF eventually gave him a plane ticket, which of course has to be to a totally different destination. We'll find that out next week. I'm sure they all are going to go to Las Vegas and he'll go to Atlantic City or but, but somehow Sammy won't have noticed it on the ticket or won't confirm that his flight time is the same as everyone else. Or everyone else will be in first class, perhaps, and he'll be in coach. I don't know. It'll be something like that. It'll probably be funny. So I'm, I am now anticipating next week's segment, whatever they end up doing. But on Wednesday, did this hit? Not really. I'm just being honest. It really didn't hit. 
We then were asked what's next for the Young Bucks. They apologized to Alex Marvez for kicking him and bragged about beating FTR for the titles. Matt then said that some tag team called Top Flight challenged them on social media, so now they're going to get a chance next week. Okay, sure. Most loaded tag team division in the world, as we've mentioned. Plenty of other teams who deserve opportunities and could be booked in storylines. And kind of like we said with the TNT title, just plucking someone out of obscurity to pop your hardcore fans in the internet wrestling community. I mean, I don't know who Top Flight is and maybe they're great and I hope they are and that would be really cool and maybe AEW signs them and, and whatever, but they could also sign them without giving them this match and work them into, hey, we were newly signed and we want a match eventually. So I'm not exactly sure what they're doing here, but again, it's just a strange booking decision that they're trying to give us on a dynamite. Uh, Sean Spears defeated Scorpio Sky after taking a shot on steel steps, which honestly... I didn't even know AEW had them because they use the ramp. So maybe I just, I've missed them all this time, but okay. Steel Steps just appeared out of nowhere. Uh, Sky gained advantage with the Scorpion Deathlock. Tully Blanchard distracted the referee and slipped the slug to Spears for his loaded glove, which he then used to get the win. I tried to find one, but I really don't have much of an opinion about this. It's somewhat inconsequential. They're not building them for a main event feud or for a TNT title situation. Just two guys kind of fighting over mostly nothing. And we know that Spears uses the loaded glove now. It's an old school gimmick. I'm not necessarily against it, but if it's if it's the only way he can win, it's kind of pathetic. Um, maybe they are going to do something with FTR and Spears. Maybe form a four horseman. Maybe they're not. I'm just kind of left not really caring one way or the other. And then we got Ty Conti. Kanshi, I think, actually is the way she says, says her name, defeating Red Velvet. Once again, the lone women's match on the show comes nearly 90 minutes into it. It lasted about seven to eight minutes, including a long commercial break with part of it that was not picture in picture. Kanshi won with a knee strike and refused to cheat like Dark Order wanted her to. Where's the defending women's champion Hikaru Shida, who just once again had a match at a pay-per-view? You know, it was good. And now she's looking for challengers. Where's she? Where's Britt Baker? What a joke this women's division is. Just when you think, okay, they might do something interesting, like put the title on Nyla Rose and find some face challengers. They keep it on Hikaru Shida and have absolutely nothing going for them. That was AEW Dynamite. I have a couple DMs before we get out of here, but a really disappointing episode. I just don't know... How you can watch that episode of Dynamite and say that episode was better than Raw or that episode was better than SmackDown. Could you like it over NXT? They were close enough in quality this week where maybe I can give it to you. And the, and the main event wrestling, Penta and Phoenix. I mean, it was just an incredible match. So yes, that, they did go out on a high note in terms of match quality. But how you could watch that show and say that's markedly different. And, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. We got a DM slide from Nathaniel J at the Twine Winder. He says, there is not enough of a difference between AEW and WWE to warrant the mountain of goodwill that AEW has been afforded. AEW's advantage is its lack of history, while WWE has decades from which poor booking and poor decisions can be cited. It's true. I mean, AEW may make fewer bad decisions overall, But AEW also has two hours of television each week to book, 
where WWE is dealing with five from its main roster shows and then two more from NXT, which is largely good. You know, there's usually not many issues with NXT booking. So yeah, AEW does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. And you know what? Even if they did in year one, now that we're in year two, which was signified by the new theme music and the fact that the pay-per-view is now over and the new opening and the new match graphics and everything that they're doing, we're now in year two. Benefit of the doubt should be gone. Now you have to judge, even if you gave it to them in year one, now you have to judge AEW on the same plane as NXT, largely on the same plane as WWE. They know what they're doing now. Those audio issues on the backstage interviews, they should be figured out. The booking, the way the women's division is handled, is disastrous. It's, It's laughable. And the way some of this other booking has been done and some of the other decisions that have been made and the way some of these shows have been promoted needs to be called out. This was not a good episode of AEW Dynamite. And for a show after a pay-per-view type of episode, it needed to be way better. Your surprises are pot coming back, which was completely telegraphed. Had it not been telegraphed and promoted the way it was, it would have been a great surprise. But they over-promoted it and they under-delivered it. And for Cody coming out of this TNT title thing where he wins the title back only to drop it to Darby Allen, where honestly, they could have had Brody Lee do almost the same storyline with Darby Allen and have it be more effective because Darby is not just fighting against a bigger guy in Brody, he's going up against the entire Dark Order. But instead of doing any of that, you throw the title back on Cody, you throw it right off of him, which is exactly what WWE would do in that scenario with a John Cena, for example. It deserves criticism. It deserves to be called out, period. And then last here, Luke Smith at 001 Luke. He says, in response to what you guys said about giving the winning Survivor Series team money as an incentive to win, why not do Elimination Chamber for the month after and the winning team gets entered into that, gives them reasons to work together for a month, but builds their dislike towards each other as well. That's a good idea. I think it can be money. It can be an elimination chamber spot. It can be spots in the Royal Rumble where the winning team, male and female, get five of the final 10 spots in the Royal Rumble or something like that. You Elimination chamber, I don't think they should bump it up to December. It really needs to be in between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania because they need to create another number one contender and they need to have a big pay-per-view in that large span of time between the two. But yes, you could say that if there is a sole survivor, they are automatically entered into Elimination Chamber and they're the last person to come out. Or the sole survivor is the 30th entrant at the Royal Rumble. Or anything like that. There are so many different things that you can do. Uh, They get a guaranteed Intercontinental or United States Championship shot if there's a sole survivor. If not, the winning team gets to have a fatal five-way match and the winner gets a world title shot. There's so many different things you can do to make Survivor Series brand versus brand matter, but they just don't do them. And the last couple of years, again, with the NXT invasion and some of the other stuff, it was okay because there were other things on the line and there were other promotions that got us jacked up about watching the show. But this year, there's really not that good of a reason to watch Survivor Series. And I wish that WWE did think a little bit more forward and give us a reason to care about these five-on-five matches and these title versus title matches other than the fact that maybe we'll get a couple dream matches, which I don't even know how many of these can really be considered dream matches. Street Profits and New Day, 
That's probably up there. If we get Asuka and Sasha Banks, that would be up there as well. But guess what? Based on their booking, we just saw Asuka and Sasha Banks twice. So now we're going to get the rubber match, I guess. So really, what are we doing here? Um, So look, WWE demerit in terms of the build for Survivor Series. But really, the show, the main topic on the show, AEW, once again, over-promising, under-delivering, NXT with an opportunity to put together a pretty strong show with some pretty decent people and storylines under-delivering, but at least NXT did not over-promise. So that's the difference. That's really the difference. Both shows under-delivered this week. But AEW promised us the moon. NXT didn't. They just said, look, we're going to put on a good show. We're going to have a couple title matches. Tune in. The title matches were good. The wrestling was fine. But they didn't promise us that they were going to shake up the landscape of professional wrestling. AEW did promise us that. And it didn't do it. So that is it for this week's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, breaking down everything from NXT and AEW. We will be back next week on Tuesday with our WWE episode, not only recapping SmackDown and Raw, but serving as our ultimate preview for Survivor Series 2020. Get excited. I don't know if we're going to have any special interviews ahead of Survivor Series. I'm currently efforting for that. So it's possible we may get a four-episode week, not only where we have the WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview on Tuesday and our regular NXT AEW episode on Thursday, but possibly an interview in between. But no doubt, Survivor Series Instant Analysis next Sunday, immediately after that pay-per-view goes off the air. And then, as I mentioned We jump into December, and there is so much on the line for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast in December. Not only do I have one interview already scheduled with a huge name you guys are going to be really excited to hear from, a favorite of this podcast, we also have the 100th anniversary edition of Getting Over, which is going to be a show I know you guys are going to love. And then following that, we will begin our countdown to the 2020 year-end awards we got to come up with a name for them. So if anyone does, please let me know. I heard one. It was the Meaties. I don't think that's the right name uh, for the awards. So someone come up with something better than that for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We need a name for our awards. But you guys will all be involved, not just in nominating, but actually voting on our award winners for 2020. As I said, December, an absolutely huge month for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to hear what I have to bring you. But that's all I have to bring you for today. So the Silver King says goodbye. That means one more person needs to say goodbye before we get out of here. Thank you all for listening. That means I have just three words left for you. Bye for now.